0: Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm
2: Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Hello, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. We are still... With Wonder Woman. It's very zeitgeisty doing some yes. Wonder Woman episodes at the moment when everyone's having opinions about Wonder Woman 1984 left, right and centre. Um, What did you think? Very quickly, what did you think of Wonder Woman 1984? I thought it was good. I thought another pass at the script, it could have been
1: great. And if another pass at the script, it could have been excellent. Uh, <laughs> it was definitely overlong. But yeah, it was, it was a decent movie, yeah.
2: Yeah, I really liked it. Um, I would agree with you. It was, it was overlong. It was far too flabby in the middle. It could have lost 20 minutes and been a much, much better movie. It's, it's weird that I had so much time to work on it, and it just got so flabby. I don't know, but the bits that I liked, I really liked, and I suppose that's what matters, really, I suppose. So anyway, yes. Now, if you were with us last time, we obviously, the most recent Wonder Woman issue we talked about was a story at the tail end of issue 158, which had Robert Kaniger, the editor of Wonder Woman, declaring that he was going to return her to a golden age. So with that in mind, we are looking at issue 159, which was published on the 4th of November 1965, with a cover date of January 1966. And as has become the custom, Pete, tell us about the cover. The cover is a plain
1: purple background with tons of text on it. Loads. You want text on
2: your comic cover, you've come to the right <laughs> place.
1: And on the left-hand side of the cover, we have Wonder Woman, and there's a hand coming from behind her, going over her mouth. And Wonder
2: Woman saying... Let me go! I must tell the truth! I bet that's Robert Canninger's hand. I would imagine so. (laughs) So, the text says... Comics Golden Age returns more dazzling than ever. And then we have a gorgeous big Wonder Woman logo, which is a nice yellow, which sticks out really well against the purple, it must be said. Now, at last, for the first time since the
1: Golden Age of Comics... And then we have three caption boxes, the first one of which says... The only true secret origin of the mighty Amazon, Wonder Woman. And then the next caption box says... Complete, unexpurgated, startling, unbelievable. And the final one, and largest of the caption boxes says... Wonder Woman will reveal the innermost secrets
0: of the Amazons. Their powers, their weaknesses, their weapons... Their strange gods, their fearful laws, their punishments, their island paradise, their Amazon code.
1: And at the very bottom of the cover, we have a corner flash going across the bottom right corner, which says, A DC first, another
2: great collector's item. Amazing. So yeah, there's a lot of text on this cover. (laughs) I mean, there's been a fair bit of that sort of stuff recently. One of the JLA's we did not too long ago was at 38, quite a bit of text on the cover. And 37 yeah, did a uh-huh. fair bit as well. It's definitely the fashion. It's quite overwhelming. It's a good, clear, stark image of Diana, that must be said. Yeah. They're really selling it, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Yes. So, into the story. The Golden Age, secret origin of Wonder Woman. That's in large text along the, the top of the page, and then we have a, cu- a caption box and a couple of panels. And the, the first caption box says... Special! When the whole world awaited a champion to battle the forces of evil and
1: injustice that reared their serpentine heads on every side, there mysteriously appeared the mighty Amazon known as Wonder Woman. Beautiful as
2: Aphrodite, wise as Athena, stronger than Hercules and swifter than Mercury. We have a couple of panels under this first text box. The first one shows two Amazons (laughs) on kangaroo back Indulging in a sword fight, and one of them the Amazon with dark hair, has overcome the other one, and the dark-haired one is saying, "Great Hera, I must win all the contests before I'm discovered and a sort of tannoy voice and presuming says, "The mysterious champion wins again, and then we have another panel and a little caption above it which says, "Wonder Woman's startling exploits outshone the brightest stars in the skies, and yet this wondrous being was fashioned out of clay." And this panel shows a lady who we know to be Wonder Woman's mother with a knife in one hand, another sculpting, implement in another, some clay and a sort of dais in front of her, and she has shaped the clay into the form of a child. And the final caption on its opening page says, Top secret! Steal yourself for the most incredible thrill of your life! The only authentic secret origin of the original Wonder Woman as revealed during comic's legendary golden age! Right, so into the story proper then. And the caption at the top of page two says, Our strange tale starts in the most ancient of times when Earth was jointly ruled by rival gods, Mars, god of war, and Aphrodite, goddess of love and beauty. And this opening panel shows um, some soldiers sort of pillaging, I suppose, for a better way of putting it, sort of Greco-Roman style. The word Trojan almost springs to mind because they they appear very much like you imagine sort of Roman and Greek soldiers looked because of the way we've seen them in Ray Harryhausen movies and all that sort of thing. And there's a cloud in the sky, a big nice pink-tinged cloud, and in the middle of the cloud are the aforementioned Mars and the aforementioned Aphrodite. And Aphrodite says, My women shall conquer men with love, Mars. And Mars replies, Foolish Aphrodite,
0: behold how my men rule with this sword.
2: <laughs> and the second panel shows a couple of soldiers, one of whom is, has, has a goat by a little cord round its neck in his hand, and the other soldier has a spear. The other soldier, the one with, who's wearing a sort of golden helmet, he's pointing, gesturing towards a group of about half a dozen women. Mars and Aphrodite are in their cloud, observing this, and Mars says, Look, Aphrodite, my men regard your women as toys. And the soldier wearing the golden helmet gestures towards the women and as we can see their wrists are all bound and he's saying to the other soldier All my slaves for thy gout and the other soldier says Not enough, my gout is worth twice their number after all, they're only women We cut back to Mars and Aphrodite and Mars is saying to a tear-stricken Aphrodite
0: (laughs) You weep like a woman even though you are a goddess for you see how helpless your women are with the foolish thoughts of breaking the swords of my men with love. <laughs> then the caption for the next panel
2: says, It was then that Aphrodite, with her own hands, shaped a new race of superwomen." And this next panel shows Aphrodite at work sculpting a statue figure of a woman, basically. There's some other woman standing around, and as she's sculpting, she says, I will breathe life and the power of love into these women until they are far stronger than the strongest of men. I shall name them Amazons for love and strength. Top of page three, a caption says, To the Queen of the Amazons. Some of the Amazons that Aphrodite already sculpted are watching as she's placing a girdle around the waist of Hippolyte. Aphrodite is saying, To you, Queen Hippolyte, I give my own magic girdle. As long as you wear it, Amazons shall be unconquerable. Never take it off. The next panel shows all the Amazons cheering hola and Hippolyte saying, Great Aphrodite.
1: We shall use our power only in love and kindness and to battle the forces of evil
0: everywhere.
2: So be it. And the battle cry of the Amazons shall be HOLA! Which obviously explains why the Amazons are all crying it. So, we have a change of scene. The caption says The Amazons built a glittering city called Amazonia which immediately became the target of invading armies. It's quite an epic panel here. In the distance in the background we can see all the temples and the buildings that the the Amazons have constructed. And at the front of the panel, we see, ranged on the left, a large number of soldiers. And then on the right of the panel, there's another bunch of soldiers. And there's two men in chariots who look very different. I'm going to suggest that they are different armies. And the guy on the left is wearing a sort of green tunic and has a beard. And he says, Foolish woman, building a city without even a wall to protect it. We'll smash it into rubble. And the other guy, who looks like he's wearing a sort of golden armour, has a very, very, very odd looking red hat helmet affair going on. He says, Aye! We will sell them into slavery as a lesson to all women, not to defy men! But for the first time in the history of the world. And this is great because it's basically a panel of the Amazons handing the men their backsides. The two so- lead sort of soldiers who we saw in the final panel, we see them being tipped out of their chariots, their horses knocked down. There's Cries of hola going on in the background from the Amazons, and the man in green being tipped out says, "Help! These are not ordinary women." And the guy with the red hat says, "Aye, I, I have never seen their like before." I like the thunks and cracks sound effects as their chariots are sort of smashed up. It's tremendous. It's, very good. So it's great. Yeah. yeah, it's. I must say the the art in this is already stylistically. It looks very like the flashback sequence in the Brain Pirate story we did a few episodes ago. Would you agree? Yes. Do you think? Yes. Yeah? Absolutely. Yes. As we discussed previously, Robert Canninger, the editor, was taking this decision to return Wonder Woman to the, the Golden Age stylings, and the art very much does reflect it. It's very, I can't say simplistic, it is very detailed, it is very nice, it's very nicely rendered, but the the essence of it has that slight unsophistication that we're used to from older stories. So at the top of page four, the first caption says, In the misty regions, Mars is enraged. And we see Mars and Aphrodite again back in their clouds with their temples around them. And Mars has raised his fist and he's saying to Aphrodite, You tricked me Aphrodite,
0: you made Amazon women stronger than men. But you have won only a single battle in the war between men and women. I will conquer your Amazons and punish them.
2: Not as long as Queen Hippolyte wears my magic girdle and she never takes it off. Asleep or awake, ha ha! And then we get a nice close-up of Mars, finger to his face as he's stroking his chin and he's thinking, Aphrodite does not realise that she has just revealed to me how to destroy
1: the Amazons. See that panel? Do you not think that close-up of his face looks very much like the troll emoji? Yes. You know, the yes, the kind of gurning troll? Yes, it's very quite, so.
2: now that you mention it, it's quite disconcerting. We've not said,
1: but it's uh, Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito doing the art chores on this, and they're, they're, they're right, doing a yeah. great uh-huh. job of evoking that style, and it's definitely a change from their usual style. It's absolutely brilliant. Not that the neutral style isn't, but yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, it is really good. I mean, it's a, it's a really nice looking comic and it does feel sort of like a, a kind of an upgraded version of a Golden Age story. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. A slightly more uh-huh. polished. If they t- it's almost like they took an older story and redid it and smartened it up. Anyway, so Mars obviously has a plan for the caption for the next panel on page four says, Mars appears to Hercules, the strongest man in the world. And this is a very different Hercules to the Hercules we've met before in the podcast. It's obviously not the same guy. He's a lot thicker, but he looks a bit squatter, much bulkier, very, very strong. He's got sort of black trunks, his little anklets around the bottoms of his legs, and he's already wearing the the head and skull of the lion that he killed in his labours. And this panel shows him. He's got another lion by the tail, and he's smacking its head against a tree trunk with a giant thud. That's a shame, anyway. And Hercules is saying. I can bite through steel, shatter rock into dust,
0: turn the wildest animal into a rug. No one is stronger than I,
2: Hercules. And Mars is standing in the background watching this, and he says, No man, Hercules, but a mere woman is, Hippolyte,
0: Queen of the Amazons.
2: Mars continues in the next panel.
0: Hippolyte and her Amazons are invincible only as long as she wears the magic girdle of Aphrodite. Until then, you're the second strongest in the world. And Hercules says, I'll strip off that magic girdle and bring
2: her woman back in chains. Hercules second to a woman? Bah! And then the caption for the next panel says, Shortly, leading a mighty army to Amazonia. And we see Hercules, he's got a club now, and it it looks like he's grown a tail. He obviously looks like he's wearing the lion's tail as a belt. In fact, he had that in the previous panel, but it just wasn't very clear. He has an army ranged behind him, and Hippolyte and the Amazons all carrying spears are in front of him, and Hercules says, I, Hercules,
0: strongest man in the world, challenge Hippolyte to personal combat if she dares, or confess that she is a
2: coward in
0: skirts.
2: But now on to page five, the first caption says, Hippolyte answers the challenge. And there's an inset panel of Hippolyta here, and she says, I dare fight any man. And the larger panel shows Hercules swinging his club at her sword, which shatters with a clank sound effect. As he does this, Hercules says, Foolish female, to think you can stand before Hercules. And as the sword snaps, Hippolyta says, Oh. Then the next panel, she's down on the ground. Hercules is standing over her with a club, and he's saying, Did you think you would have a chance against the
0: strongest man in the world? With or without your magic girdle, surrender or
2: die. There's a close-up of what's left of Hippolyte's sword, the handle, and a bit of the blade, and there's a flash of energy around it, and she says, Aphrodite's magic girdle, give me strength. Hola! And in the next panel, she uppercuts Hercules, for want of a better way of putting it, with a thud striking him with what's left of the sword. And as she does that, she says, No mere man can conquer an Amazon. Hercules recoils with an... And he thinks, It is true, not as long as Hippolyte wears the magic girdle. In the caption for the next panel says, Queen Hippolyte's womanly heart is touched. This panel has Hercules flat out on the ground, and the Queen leaning over him, she has his club in her hand, and she says, You
1: are the strongest man in the world, Hercules. I cannot bear to see you lying in the dust. Promise to go home and leave us in peace, and I will spare your life. And the recumbent
0: Hercules says, You are generous, Hippolyte, I promise, and to seal our pact of friendship, I invite you and your beautiful Amazons to a banquet
2: tonight in our tents. Oh, that sounds dodgy, doesn't it? Yes. I don't like the sound of that at all. I wouldn't trust him if I was you, Queen, if I was you. So, over the page, top of page six, and the caption says, That evening, the crafty Hercules uses woman's own weapon, love, against Queen Hippolyte. And obviously the party's now in full swing here. In the background we can see Amazons and presumably some of Hercules' soldiers all having a drink and enjoying themselves. The Queen is stretched out in a very attractive chaise lounge with an almost leopard print throw over it, would you you say? Yeah,
1: probably an actual... Yeah, but it could be.
2: Yeah, Yeah, it's an actual dead leopard. Dead leopard, that's a good name for a band. And Hercules is sitting with her. They're each holding a sort of golden goblet. And Hercules is saying, I never realised before... You are as beautiful as Aphrodite herself. What a charm, array. And the Queen replies, And you are as strong
1: as Mars himself, Hercules. Without my magic girdle, I could never have conquered
0: you. Your girdle is magic, beautiful Hippolyte, only because it has encircled
2: your divine figure. If I could but hold it for a moment, it would send my <laughs> spirit soaring. Hercules is now kneeling before the Queen, and the Queen... She's taken off her girdle and she's handing it to him. And as she does so, she says,
1: I ought not, but how can I resist such a plea? After all, it'll only be for a
2: moment. In the caption for the next panel. But? And then Hercules grabs the girdle, pushing the queen backwards. And he says, Foolish female, I have what I want now. And Hippolyta says, Hola, Sister Hermesons, Hercules has betrayed me. Queen is now falling backwards as we say. And in the caption for the next panel. In the battle that follows, the Amazons fight furiously, but... And obviously they've saved a bit of money (laughs) and some pages by not showing the battle. For The background for this panel shows the Amazons all subjugated with the soldiers standing over, bearing swords and spears. And the foreground of the panel, Hercules is gripping the Queen by her shoulder, holding her girdle in his right hand, and he says...
0: Without the magic girdle, the Amazons fall everywhere. Loot Amazonia men, chain the prisoners.
2: And Hippolyte says looking very distraught in the process. Whoa, 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 all is lost because of me. And then a closing caption for this page says, End of part one. Part two, the golden age secret origin of
1: Wonder Woman flashes with even greater brilliance on the fourth page following.
2: Story page six underneath that is a nice house advert for um an issue of House of Mystery with its dial H for hero story. So that's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Bear that in mind, listeners. Flicking over the pages is the now-traditional Superman 80-page giant advert, amongst some others. Now we move to the top of story, page number 7, and a caption that says, Part 2, the Golden Age, secret origin of Wonder Woman. And the opening caption for Part 2 says, Loaded with fetters, beaten and tormented by their cruel captors, the Amazons are in despair. So this panel shows, like the last one in fact, all of the Amazons are sort of everyone sort of herded together. We can see Hippolyte and a few others they know, drawn in a bit more detail. They have chains around their wrists and um, they're kneeling down. There are larger soldiers around with spears and whips uh, and swords, all obviously kind of stopping the Amazons from doing anything. Hippolyte is at the front of this little group of Amazons and she's raising her hands and saying, O oh, Aphrodite, great goddess,
1: forgive my sin. Give us strength to break our chains and recover the magic girdle.
2: And Hercules saying, Your plea falls on deaf ears, foolish queen. Aphrodite
0: cannot help you. Mars will prevent her. The god of war is stronger than the goddess of love and beauty.
2: And in the caption for the next panel. But appearing only to Hippolyte. And this is a really nice panel, actually. We can see the queen sort of with her hands up to her face. She's praying and tears falling down her face. And the pink clouds that the, the gods were sort of amongst earlier on, they're sort of surrounding her. And Aphrodite is appearing through the clouds. And Aphrodite is saying to the queen, You may break your chains, but only if you can force a man to undo the bonds that a man has placed on you. And the queen says, Thank you, generous Aphrodite. And then the caption for the next panel says... Instantly, the fearless Amazon leaps at the mighty Hercules. It's a very exciting panel. Hebelati leaps to her feet and she says... Hola! Rise against your captors, Amazons. Hola! And Hercules, lifting his sword, says... Foolish Amazon, how can you hurl yourself in chains against my mighty sword? And then the caption for the next panel... With breathless daring... This is a great panel. As the Queen moves forward, she breaks her chains against Hercules' sword, so they snap... She says, "Thank Aphrodite! A man broke open my chains. I am free." Fantastic. See, Hercules, you're too complacent. That's your trouble. At the top of page eight, the caption says, "In the raging battle that follows." Now, somehow, all of the other Amazons have <laughs> have got free <laughs> in this panel. Taking
1: the queen's lead, I believe.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess they, they all must have. Either they all weren't chained or else they've all just leapt forward and done some of the things. So, the background of the panel, with cries of hola, can see the Amazons beating the crap out of some of the soldiers, and in the foreground of the panel, Hippolyte has turned the tables on Hercules, and it looks like she's used her chain and snapped his sword, knocking him backwards with a clunk, and she says, Aphrodite is at her side once again, Amazons. Hola! So yes, yeah, so the fight continues, and then the caption for the next panel says, After recovering her magic girdle. And this panel shows the Queen looking very much like Kobe Smulders all of a sudden to my eyes. Maybe it's just because I was watching <laughs> <laughs> how I met your mother at lunchtime. The Queen and a few more of her Amazons, and Aphrodite is there, and the Queen says, Aphrodite, I shall
1: never again remove your magic girdle. Amazons, remove your handcuffs. And one of the other Amazons says,
2: "I, noble Queen, it will be wonderful not to be fettered again. However, the caption for the next panel says But And Aphrodite is saying to the queen No Amazons You must always wear these bracelets from now on To teach you the folly of submitting to man's domination And Hippolyta replies We will obey great Aphrodite Guided by Aphrodite The Amazons board ships And This is a nice panel aphrodite is flying through the air surrounded by one of the clouds that we've seen there amongst and falling behind her on the ocean are the ships if you've seen a re harryhausen movie it's probably quite easy to to use that as your (laughs) (laughs) to visualize it as i mean this is i'm getting serious re harryhausen vibes from from this this whole story actually which is obviously appropriate and aphrodite is obviously she's flying ahead of the ships and aphrodite is saying follow me and i shall lead you to a secret island of peace and one of the Amazons, presumably the Queen, in one of the other boats says, We will obey great Aphrodite. Right, and then a slow dissolve and a caption for the final panel on page 8. Finally reaching their destination, the Amazons build a glittering city. And the background of the panel, again it's the Greco-Roman temple-style buildings that have that've sprung up now that the Amazons have got there. And in the foreground Aphrodite and Queen Hippolyte are having a conversation and Aphrodite is saying, This isle is your paradise, Queen Hippolyte, but a woman's paradise only. If you allow a single man just to set foot on it, you will be doomed. You will lose your immortality and your powers. And the Queen says, It shall never happen, generous Aphrodite. Over the page then to page nine. But in the years that followed, all the joyous Amazons flourished in sunny peace and contentment. This first panel of page nine shows a couple more goddesses, with their heads floating about in the pink clouds, looking down on the Amazons. We can see... Hippolyte sitting off the side of a rock as some of her sisters are obviously diving off the rock into the ocean. It looks very idyllic, actually. One could say it's a paradise island. <laughs> you could, you could. You very, yeah, <laughs> I think you could say that. And you know what? I think I don't think you'd be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so in the cloud we have Aphrodite and Athena, and Aphrodite is saying, "Great Athena, goddess of wisdom, how can we lighten Hippolyte's heart?
1: Who better than you, Aphrodite, you should know she needs someone to love." Not a man who could break her heart, but the innocent love of a child. Since an Amazon can never marry, I shall teach her how to mould a human form.
2: And in the foreground of the panel, as everyone else is having a great time diving off the rocks, very listless now and sad-looking Hippolyta is thinking.
1: I feel so lonely. My heart is so heavy. My arms feel so empty.
2: Oh, poor Polly, that's a shame. Anyway... The caption for the next panel says... And so, under the direction of Athena... And this panel shows Aphrodite and Athena standing with Hippolyte as Hippolyte is sculpting, like we said in the splash panel, a little small statuette of a child. And Athena is saying... You have done well, Hippolyte.
1: How lifelike she looks.
2: And the Queen says... But she
1: is just a statue. She can never know how I adore her. Oh, Aphrodite, if she only were alive, mine to love and cherish...
2: And in the next panel, Aphrodite is gesturing, and she says, And so shall it be, O Queen, child, and in thee Diana, after the moon goddess, mistress of the chase, whose face shines on you now, and the statue has come to life. And she leaps into the Queen's arms, and the Queen says,
1: Little Diana, you are my wonder child.
2: Aww. Check it out, folks. Wonder Woman has just been origined right before your very ears. So, the caption for the next panel says, At the age of three, when an Amazon is pinned beneath a huge tree felled by lightning. And this is an interesting panel, because we see an Amazon who's obviously been pinned under the tree, but the child Diana is lifting the tree from her, and the Amazon in the foreground is saying, Great thunderbolts of Zeus, our little princess pulls that giant tree up as if it were just a weed. And the back of the panel shows Hippolyte and one of the other Amazon's running up to the scene. And they can see what's happening. And as the young Diana lifts the tree, she says, Hola! And then in close-up, the Queen says,
1: Aye, already my Diana has the strength of Hercules.
2: We've reached the top of page 10. When Diana is five, her namesake, the goddess of the chase, watches her race, the fleetest deer through the forest. And that's a nice panel. It shows Diana head of the deer, it looks like she's jumped over a bit of a, a ravine or a gorge, or from one cliff to another, and there's one of the, the now familiar pink clouds floating in the background, and we can see the head of Athena, and also the head of Diana. And Diana is saying, Look, my namesake, the Queen's child, is swifter than Mercury herself. And as Diana leaps, our Diana, that is, young Princess Diana, when the woman leaps, she cries, Hola! Then a caption for the next panel says, At 15, the young Amazon spends the night in vigil at Aphrodite's altar. It's obviously a very dark temple. There's a razor with a flame burning in the the right-hand side of the panel. Diana is kneeling, and her mother tells us what she's doing. Hippolyte says,
0: Here are your
1: bracelets of submission to Aphrodite, Diana. And Diana says,
2: I'll pledge myself forever to the services of Aphrodite, goddess of love and beauty. And the Queen continues in the next panel. Let no man ever chain these bracelets together, Diana, or you'll be forced to
1: obey him until you can get him or another man to break your chains. With your bracelets of submission chained, terrible forces can transform you into a creature
2: of ungovernable fury. So beware. And Diana is lifting up her now braceleted wrists and she's looking at them very intently and she's saying, I will beware, Mother. And then the caption for the next panel. Lastly, in a secret grove, when the princess is 19... That's an interesting one because Hippolyte and Diana are standing and it's a little garden water feature, basically. <laughs> and it's a little boy holding a giant conch shell and water is pouring from it. Diana has obviously filled a cup with the water that's pouring from this fountain and the Queen is saying, Drink, Diana, from the fountain of eternal youth. Beauty and
1: happiness are your Amazon birthrights as long as you remain on Paradise Island.
2: Diana says, It is a wonderful birthright. I will never give it up. And then, final panel, page 10, the caption says, But later, the seething sea brings floating wreckage toward Paradise Island, and... Diana and obviously one of her friends are standing on the cliff edge looking down. We don't really see too much of a detail of the wreckage or what's floating in this panel, but Diana and her friend Mala have clocked it. Basically, and Diana says, Look Mala, a body, floating on plane wreckage. I hope it's in time to be of help. And Wonder Woman's pal Mala says, I'll race you to the wreckage, princess. Over the page now to page 11, and the caption for the first panel says, Although Mala is the fastest Amazon swimmer. And we see Diana and Mala swimming in the ocean out towards the wreckage. Diana's going at speed, for Mala says, Diana passes me as if she were faster than a porpoise. Diana says as she swims past, Hola! Then a caption for the next panel, On the wreckage, Diana's heart is stirred, just like her mother's. And Diana's reached the wreckage, And floating on the wreckage was a blond man. He's almost unconscious. And Diana looks at him from the sea and says This is the first man I have ever seen. How handsome he is, like a god. The caption for the next panel An examination reveals this panel shows that Mala and Diana have climbed onto the, the wreckage. It looks like the wing of the plane actually from this panel. And Marla's holding a piece of paper that she's found, and she says, These identification papers state that he
1: is Captain Steve Trevor of the American Army Intelligence. Princess, are you
2: listening? Diana is cradling Steve Trevor by now, and she says, How strange that he drifted to our shores. It seems like fate. He can't die. Not when he's in my arms. I've got to save him. And the next panel, Marla says, Diana, Princess, a man on Paradise Island? You can't take him into the city. Remember Aphrodite's law.
1: No man may set foot on Paradise Island.
2: And this looks like Dana's walking on water in the next panel. Maybe she's just jumping all the way from the, <laughs> the plane wreckage to the island. But she's carrying Steve and she says, I'll take him to my island laboratory. It's outside the city. And, Mala, don't tell my mother. The caption for the next panel, after a slow dissolve, says, In the laboratory... Diana works day and night to perfect a healing ray for the unconscious
1: pilot's life. While the Royal Court physician Mala has brought says...
2: And in this panel, we see Steve stretched out on a bed. There looks like a sort of a big gas canister behind them. And the doctor, the Amazonian doctor, she has an interesting bit of headgear going on. Very weird glasses she's wearing. And she has a stethoscope, which is holding to Steve's chest. And she says... Hey, sinking fast. Diana, in a bit of a state of distress, says... No... No, I can't let it happen. I've almost perfected the healing ray. In the caption for the next panel. On the fifth day, Diana, who's now wearing a similar pair of glasses to the ones the Doctor's wearing, she's in the foreground of the panel operating some equipment. And our dialogue helps us out here. She's saying, Doctor, I found it, the purple healing ray. Doctor, why are you looking at me like that? What's happening? And the Doctor, who we can see in the background of the panel, with Steve, and Steve has a bandage on his head by this point. I'm not sure why he didn't have one before. Anyway, the doctor's looking back at Diana over her shoulder, and she says, Poor Diana, it's too late. The patient is beyond recovery. He's gone. I'm sorry. We move to the top of page 12, and the caption says, But Diana fiercely fights for the stricken pilot's life. And Diana's now obviously arranged that her purple healing ray is over beside Steve's bed, or maybe she's moved Steve's bed over to near the purple hearing ray, who can say? And the purple hearing ray is operating with a brrreee sound effect. Diana and the doctor are standing looking down at Steve. you are looking very buff, it must it must be said, stretched out in the bed, and Diana is saying, Wake up. Wake up. Please open your eyes. I won't let you die. I've taken you out of the sea. I won't lose you now. Open your eyes. Open them. Open them. And then the caption for the next panel says, the weird purple light pulsates at the patient's battered body until... And Steve opens his eyes, saying... Angel. Beautiful angel. And a delighted Diana says... Thank Aphrodite, You're going to be all right. Suddenly, a worried queen appears. And queen Hablati has walked in and she says...
1: So this is why you didn't appear at court for a whole week. For a man.
2: The cause of all our woes. He must
1: return to the warring world of men
2: immediately. But, Mother, Captain Trevor can't travel alone. He's not well. I can fly him to America. No, Diana, that is impossible. If you leave Paradise
1: Island, you will lose your birthright. And she thinks... Aphrodite, help me. Diana has fallen in love with this stranger.
2: The next panel shows Mars... And Aphrodite, again, back in one of the pink clouds, and they're viewing the march of the, the German armed forces. There's some very caricatured, ugly German soldiers. There's some tanks. There's some aeroplanes flying overhead. Some bam-bam sound effects. Some kapow sound effects. And Mars and Aphrodite are observing all of this. And Mars is saying, Maybe your Amazon's defeated
0: Hercules, Aphrodite. But the whole world's at war. I,
2: Mars, god of war, rule the Earth. Ha, <laughs> ha, You will stop laughing when America wins and ends your rule of violence and bloodshed Mars. Shortly, Aphrodite appears to the Queen. Hippolyte, our young Amazon must take the Captain back to America. She must remain there to fight evil and injustice everywhere. You must choose your greatest Amazon, for she will need all her strength against the forces of crime and violence. And the Queen replies, I obey, O Goddess. Slow dissolve the caption for the next panel. The next morning... And we see the Queen addressing all the Amazons who are all lined up. And she's in the process of saying... And
1: so, to select our greatest Amazon fairly, a unique tournament will be held at
2: Amazon Stadium tomorrow to choose the winner. And the next panel shows Diana talking to her mother. And the caption says... The Queen reacts just like any mother when... How exciting, Mother. I'm going to compete too. I feel sure I'm going to win. Then you can't refuse to allow me to take Captain Trevor back to America.
1: No, no, Diana, I forbid it. The competition is not open to you. You forget, the winner must leave Paradise Island and live in the warring world of men. I can't let you give up your Amazon birthright. But mother,
2: some girl must do it. Why not I? Besides, it's not a sacrifice to battle crime and injustice. It's an honour. The Queen thinks, I can't lose my child. I must talk her out of it somehow. And then says, You're right, Diana. It is a great
1: honour, and so, to eliminate any possibility of favouritism, if I were to choose you, I must forbid you to compete.
2: Gosh, right. Now, the caption for the next panel says... But shortly before the competition, the impulsive maid dons... Diana has put on a mask, and she's saying... I'll wear this mask, and since all contestants wear the same uniform, I hope Mother won't recognise me. The traditional sort of domino-type mask just over the eyes. She actually looks yes. very much like Diane Belmont from Sandman Mystery Theatre, as drawn by Guy Davis in this panel. Yes, I would I would agree with that, yes. So, the caption for the next panel. As an army of Amazon athletes parade before the Queen. The Queen is on her throne, and looks like hundreds of Amazons are marching past her, all saluting as they do so. And the Queen is thinking, Diana isn't here.
1: She's probably saying farewell to Captain Trevor before he's flown back to America by the winner of this contest.
2: The Queen, um, she can't recognise her own daughter just because she's put, a, basically, a pair of glasses on. <laughs> Touch of the lowest lanes here, isn't there? Yes. So we move now to the top of page 14. The first contest is fencing from the backs of Amazon horses. Kangas. As Kangas rear and flashing blades whirl, contestants tumble like leaves until... Bear with me whilst we'll I try and describe this for you, folks. Imagine just basically... Giant kangaroos, Let me like sort of alluded to in the, our description of the opening splash page. The Amazons are all have numbers. We can see number 12 and the number 7 and the number 22. And we see that the Amazon wearing the number 12 has successfully dislodged her opponent and she says, Happy landing! And in the other side of the panel, the Amazon wearing number 7, who I guess must be Princess Diana because it looks like she's wearing the little mask that we saw, yes. dislodges number 22. And number 7 says, Bon voyage! And standing in the middle of the ground, sort of obviously keeping an eye on everything, is is the Queen herself. And she says, Hola! Number 7, the masked Amazon, and number 12 wins. The masked Amazon. Good grief, you'd notice. Anyway, the caption for the next panel. In the wrestling contest, after fierce struggling... And this is hilarious. It looks like two simultaneous wrestling competitions have ended with the successful Amazon throwing her opponent <laughs> over her head backwards into the air so she batters into the other losing Amazon. It's quite funny. And <laughs> the Queen declares Hulla, the Mystery Maiden, Mala, win again. I'm not convinced at this mystery thing. I mean, the Queen would question it, wouldn't she? She would know. Why are you wearing a mask? Oh, for no reason. I am not trying to disguise myself. That's what would have happened. Anyway, so the next panel, the caption says... Amazons are snared like plunging colts by the lassoos of their opponents in the high-jumping contest. And, yeah, this is, it's another say what you see moment, Almost obviously, as the masked Amazon and... Presumably Mala are being released from these lassoes up in the air. And the Queen says, Hula! Number 7 and number 12 are the winners. And number 7 cries, Hula! And then another voice from the crowd says, Hula! The Mast Amazon broke all records. Terrific. have another caption. From sunrise to sunset, the gruelling tests of strength and endurance continue until every Amazon is eliminated but two. And we see Amazon number 7 and Amazon number 12 standing before the Queen. Amazon number 7 still wearing her mask. And the Queen says, number 7 and 12 each of you has won 11 contests. There is only
1: one way to decide the winner. The final test for entrance into the world of men will
2: be Bullets and bracelets. Bullets and bracelets. Tremendous. The final panel of page 14, the caption says, A hush falls on the tense audience as... And this panel, we can see in the foreground, Mala is pointing a gun at the masked Amazon number 7. The Queen is there. She tells us what's going on. Each of you will shoot five times at your opponent. The target must catch
1: the bullets on her bracelets or suffer the consequences. Number 12 will shoot
2: first. Fire! And we have a small inset panel showing Malice squinting as she fires. The caption says, At point-blank range. And there's a couple of pow-pow over the page to page 15. The caption says, The masked maiden's bracelets become silver flashes of streaking light as she parries the death thrusts of the hurtling bullets. And over a sequence of five panels with some zings and piangs and zings and thongs and zings and zips and clangs, we see number 12 firing at number 7 and number 7 deflecting. Every single one of the bullets.
1: Annoyingly, in one of those panels, Mala has been
2: misnumbered as 7. Good grief, right in the middle panel there, as opposed to 12. That's shocking. Oh dear. Terrible, guys. Terrible. Somebody wasn't paying attention. Anyway, now it's number seven's turn to fire, and... And obviously number 7 has been very successful, because this panel shows Mala looking down at her right shoulder. Number 7 is holding a gun, which has some smoke coming from the barrel. As she thinks. Thank Hira. I succeeded in just scratching Malla, So that's great. Mala wasn't very good at the deflections. That's a shame. Right, the caption for the next panel. Amidst thunderous cheers, the winner removes her mask and the startled Hippolyte is both proud queen and saddened mother. So this panel shows Diana removing her mask. She's standing in front of her mother. The auditorium all range behind them. And her mother is handing Diana the Wonder Woman costume that we're used to and the golden lasso that we're used to seeing. And as she's doing so, the queen says, "I."
1: I wish you had not one day, Anna. I, I will be very lonely without you. But I am very, very proud of you. As winner, you will wear the unique costume and lasso, prepared under Aphrodite's personal direction to wear in America.
2: Scene change for the next panel. Caption says, In the Queen's chamber. And we see Diana. She's now wearing the blue star-spangled shorts, and she's fastening up the eagle girdle at the top using a mirror so she can see what she's doing. The Queen's actually impressed, and she says, Oh, Diana, you look beautiful. And then the Queen continues in the next panel. This
1: magic lasso is made of tiny gold links, which are unbreakable. At Aphrodite's command, they were taken from the magic girdle, which makes me invincible. The magic lasso carries Aphrodite's power to make men and women submit to your will. Whoever you bind with the lasso must obey you. If anyone takes it away from you and binds you with it, then you must obey him.
2: Never let it be taken from you. She hands her the lasso. And then we are now at the top of page 16 and the caption says, A tidal wave of cheers greets the Amazon champion's entrance in her bright costume and glittering lasso. And we see Wonder Woman being borne aloft by a couple of Amazons as they're all marching along. One of them says, Hola, Princess Diana! And another one says, Hola, the Woman of Wonder! And another one says,
1: Hola, Wonder Woman!
2: So... The caption for the next panel says With Steve waiting in a unique transparent plane. Yes, yeah, so that's how Diana knew to recognize the wreckage otherwise because the Amazons have their own plane and this is actually quite a funny panel, because Steve still has the, the bandages round his head, and he's stretched out in a bed that's been loaded into the aeroplane, the invisible plane, and Hippolyte is standing with her hands on one of the room's shoulders, and the Queen says This
1: this robot plane,
2: which responds to the vibrations
1: of your voice, is my parting gift to you, daughter. Always be guided by our twin goddesses of love and wisdom, Aphrodite and Athena. Take
2: take care of yourself. Farewell. I will, Mother. And the caption for the closing panel says, With the injured Steve at her side, the dauntless Amazon heads for America and the most incredible adventures of all time. And as she flies off, one of the Roman says, Farewell, Paradise Island. And Steve says, With you at my side, Angel, I'm in paradise. The The end. end. And then a little closing caption tells us, Thus ends the only authentic secret origin
0: of the mighty Amazon, and now begins the thrills of the famed Wonder Woman.
2: And there we have it. Now that's the end of the first story in issue 159. We're not going to do the second story. We'll just tell you very quickly. It involves a bit of nonsense with some spies and a bit with a tiger on an island, as Steve and Dana make their way back to world because we're not going to cover in detail every single story of this little Golden Age revival. No. As
1: we said before in our previous episode, this is Robert Canninger's attempt to bring Wonder Woman back to the Golden Age. Yeah. And this is obviously the Golden Age origin he's showing, although, interestingly, I've just noticed as we're reading this, Wonder Woman's is wearing the shorts here as opposed to the skirt that she had in the Golden Age.
2: That's a fair point, yep. Yeah.
1: And it's is something that kinda lasts for a short time, but not really golden age set stories, just more the feel of the Golden Age.
2: Yeah. It's kinda weird. But let's actually just talk about the story a little bit. I thought that was excellent. Yeah,
1: it holds up really well. Definitely. I mean the thing is, virtually every second Wonder Woman story we seem to have read seems to be a contest in Paradise Island. Yeah. Or Wonder Woman meeting a duplicate of herself or having to have a contest against someone. It always seems to be that. Yeah, and to be honest, kind of restarting with this kind of makes this a really easy story from to bash out. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> it, it is all his tropes.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I was thinking that myself and some ways down the line we're going to be doing a story from Wonder Woman issue 175 and that has similarities to the some of the other ones that we've already done. He knows what he likes to write. Now, I was just really struck by it I mean, because obviously the whole thing with Diana taking part in a contest and then Steve coming to the island and Diana having to take him back to Man's World, that's familiar yeah. from the TV series. It's familiar from the movie. Uh-huh. It's nice to see that to an extent the TV series and the movie are more than paying lip service. They're actually being quite faithful to something. That's it's from the comics. We see Mars being involved in the stories, obviously relevant, especially the way that the first movie played out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so obviously, when we did issue 158, we talked about what Carrigan said and did in that. We've talked about in previous episodes all the, the letters pages and the, this decision to re- sort of return to the Golden Age. So, reading through these stories, it's really all this talk of Golden Age and flagging up Golden Age in the cover and referring to her as the Golden Age Wonder Woman. It's a rebranding exercise more than anything else. It's like changing the recipe on Coke or <laughs> changing the recipe of, of KFC or something and then the audience or the, the punters decide they don't like it so they go back to normal. I mean, for roughly the, the next seven or eight issues, there are varying degrees of how, how well they can kind of hold to this golden age. But basically, issue 160, which followed immediately after, obviously, it's quite interesting because it has the, the cheetah appearing in a Silver Age sort of comic for the first time. Basically, there's trouble at the zoo, the cheetah's involved, Wonder Woman gets identified as being the Golden Age Wonder Woman on the cover and in the splash panel, but there's not really much else in the story, there's no, Yeah. it doesn't feel like it's a a World War II setting. Sure. The origin, obviously, there had a panel where Mars and Aphrodite were looking down on the the German war machine, but there's nothing really that gives you a sense of that. There's another story in issue 160 with Dr. Psycho, another returning villain at Sir Carnival Circus, and Mars... Is involved in that story and he gives Wonder Woman's powers to Dr. Psycho with dramatic consequences. Issue 161, which followed, is flagged on the cover as containing a Golden Age villain surprise package and this is the, the Countess Draska Nishki. Wonder Woman is described and referred to as the Golden Age Wonder Woman. The story involves a bit of bother at a film studio about Anthony and Cleopatra and you probably won't be surprised to learn that it ends up with Steve and Diana playing the two parts, so you can guess which one. There's another story in issue 161 which involves the Angle Man. It's quite exciting, actually. You know the film Fantastic Voyage. Mm-hmm. This is basically Wonder Woman doing Fantastic Voyage. She gets shrunk down into Steve's bloodstream so she can chase after and fight the baddies. Very, very exciting. I'm very glad Angle Man's back, considering he was so worried in
1: the end or the beginning that he might get wiped out of existence by the man in the yellow bow tie.
2: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And there's nothing actually to to really indicate that Angleman's aware of that situation. But Angleman, I think he ends up coming back in the 70s as well at one point, I'm sure. So, that was 161. Issue 162 refers to the Golden Age Hall of Infamy on the cover. And it's the return of a baddie called Minister Blizzard, who actually first appeared in issue 29 of Wonder Woman. And we will actually see him when we do issue 139 of Justice League of America. Yes. It's a really, really good story, the main one in the show, 162, because it's the origin of the Diana Prince secret identity. Diana Prince is a nurse who is identical to Wonder Woman. Her fiancé is in trouble and she goes off to help to try and rescue him. And Wonder Woman takes over her identity, boring her glasses and takes over as Diana Prince. So Minister Blizzard is in the second story of that one. So yeah, it was quite enjoyable, actually, the, the origins of um, the Diana Prince identity. Issue 163. Dr. Psycho's back, but he's a professor psycho now in this one. And he makes a gorilla fall in love with Steve Trevor. The gorilla is called Giganta. She gets super evolved into being a woman. And Wonder Woman takes her to Paradise Island to rehabilitate her. And the second story of issue 163, the bad is called Paula von Gunther, who also pops up, Peter will be delighted to know, in issue 21 of Metal Men, which is also written by Robert Canninger. Superb. And the plot of this one is that basically Paula's after Steve. You know, that's it. <laughs> issue 164 doesn't have any reference to her being the Golden Age Wonder Woman in any of the cover lines or anything like that. 163 didn't either, now that I think of it. The Angle Man is back again, would you believe, in issue 164. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a story about planes going missing. Mm-hmm. Quite, another, quite, quite a good story, to be honest. Quite a lot involved. Wonder Woman has to deal with General Darnell, who's basically, he's fallen in love with her. And they almost get married before they don't. It's actually, it actually quite sweet in places. It's quite charming. It's a really nice panel of them walking on the beach at sunset, cool. which I might stick the black and white version up in the social so everyone can see it. And it must be said, by this point, the art does not have the same Golden Age stylings. Right. That the first two or three did, and certainly the Brain Pirate story we we did a few episodes ago had. And the first couple of issues, it's, it generally looks a lot less like that. You know, slightly simplified Golden Age sort of look. But issue one hundred and sixty-five, it's still the same setup that we've had for the last few issues with Steve and Diana. Diana's nurse, Diana Prince. Steve's doing what he's doing, but the artwork is as modern as you like. No references at all by this point to any Golden Age stylings. The bad in the first story of 165 is called Paper Man. And there's a horrible sort of ending to the story where he falls into a printing press and gets incorporated into that day's newspaper. Wow. Because what happens to the guy in the first place is an accident and you you sort of feel quite sorry for him. So that was like, oh, right, okay. And then Dr. Psycho... Again is back in the second story for 165, and that involves him splitting Wonder Woman into three. Now, by the time we get to issue one hundred and sixty-six, they've basically abandoned it all. Yeah. Eggfu is back, this is Eggfu the Fifth. By the second story of issue one hundred and sixty six, the Golden Age trappings are gone. Diana's back to being a lieutenant in naval intelligence. Which is basically the setup, I believe, before all the Golden Age stuff kicked in. Cheetah is in the second story of that one. And then, just very quickly, issue 167 Diana is now a captain. And there's a story there where she, she hears from the real Diana Prince. So that kind of ties it back into the story that was ostensibly about the Golden Age won the Romans. So that's a little bit, okay, a little bit confusing. Yeah. And the last one that I felt was worth mentioning was issue 168 because Giganta, Dr. Psycho, and Paula van Gunta are all back headed up by a man called The Collector who wants Wonder Woman's lasso and in a second story it's worth pointing out that Wonder Woman's mum is back to being a blonde yes one of the things they obviously they made a lot of fuss about when they were bringing back the golden age was the fact that she would have black hair but by 168 it's all gone it's business as usual really as it was and Hippolyta's back to a blonde so there you go
1: Interesting as well, she had two appearances in between the end mm. of the beginning and that very issue. She was in Brave and Bold 63, she appeared in one panel there where she was blonde. Right. And also in Teen Titans issue one, she was in one panel of that
2: where she was also blonde. So I the here. Did
1: not stick at
2: all. That obviously brings us to the, the interesting point that we mentioned, that the whole thing with Wonder Girl was that she's supposed to be a younger version of Diana originally, wasn't she?
1: Originally, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: What you have is a character who probably exists in the past, being brought into contemporary stories with Roy Harper and Molly West. And even to this day, that still causes a lot of confusion, I believe. I mean, I haven't read lot of the, the new Teen Titan stuff, but there's, there's a famous story called Who Is Donna Troy? Yes, uh-huh that tries to deal with all of that, and I know it, it continued for, for a long time afterwards. So the return of the Golden Age Wonder Woman, all it really amounted to was putting her in a different uniform for a few issues and flagging the words Golden Age on the cover and using the term Golden Age in a couple of splash panels, and that was basically it. Changing the art style a bit, yeah. Yeah, changing the art, as you say. There was no mention of any other Golden Age DC characters. There was no indication that this was set on Earth 2, or even Earth 1, if you want to use those terms in this case. It was basically just a bit of window dressing. My thoughts on these stories
1: that you covered with the synopsis there is that they were originally probably intended to be Golden Age stories, but obviously that all kind of fell by the wayside, and then Kanagur being Canagar just kept on going and just used some of those stories, so they kind of had to be the same Wonder Woman we'd been reading, so they are the Earth One Wonder Woman. But I think it's very much kind of like Legends of the Dark Knight, the series that came out in the late 80s that told stories about Batman early on in his career. So I think this is kind of like a similar setup to that, in that these are stories of the Silver Age, Earth One, Wonder Woman. Not so much filling gaps, but I think these stories are set, obviously with her in the nurse identity, set in, in her past, the Mm. past of the F 1 Wonder Woman. That sort of makes the most sense.
2: You're trying to rationalise it then?
1: If you're trying to figure something out, I think that's the only way you can really fit it into any kind of continuity.
2: Yeah. This is a rare occasion, I think, for us to disagree about this, really, isn't it? Mm. I don't think they're worth attempting to rationalise it with that, because the editor, he's not caring about continuity, he's not caring about Earth 1 or Earth 2. I mean, if it's supposed to be the Golden Age Wonder Woman, that really is referring to the Wonder Woman that we have retroactively applied as living on Earth too. yeah. and he doesn't use that and it, it makes sense to sort of suggest that these could be stories of the Earth Wonder Woman early in their career and they're using uh-huh. the Golden Age stylings to suggest it in the past but I don't, I don't think there was ever any editorial intention for that I think it, it was a surface thing because there'd been some dissatisfaction from some readers and he was trying something different yeah. I really don't think that these Wonder Woman stories that we've talked about today really can be counted as any sort of real part of continuity and- the same place as Flash of Two Worlds or any of the Justice League team ups or any of the world's finest or showcase or Braven Bold stories we've done. This is an editor who's basically been left to his own devices and doing whatever things. the heck he likes. Basically, yeah. yeah. And when I say that, I don't think they're worth rationalising. That suggests that I don't think there's any worth to them. That's not true. I loved reading these stories. I really, really enjoyed them. I hadn't read a lot of Silver Age Wonder Woman before. I was really impressed by just how fun and easy they were to read the artwork was great the storytelling yeah. was tremendous i don't think we really count them as either a flashback retcon proper golden age stories or b early adventures of the earth one wonder woman because i don't even think the editor was given any consideration to any of that stuff at all so we're gonna put them in earth Canagar. yeah <laughs> there we go Or if you want if you you know there you go. if you want to rationalize it even to that extent <laughs> It's interesting. I mean, I I can't lie, when when we started talking about doing these Wonder Woman ones, I had this fear that we were going to be locked down doing about two years worth of Wonder Woman stories that were all Churchill turning up or FDR turning up. And it's it's interesting because I was surprised to kind of form the opinion that this is a bit of rebranding because it's like... Snickers to Marathon or Marathon to Snickers, you know, that's that's about the extent of it.
1: Yeah, I think the most interesting thing about this period is how it originally seemed to be fueled by fandom, especially after you read The End or The Beginning, the last story that we covered. Uh-huh. But of course, that didn't stop. The letters kept on coming in and that became the most, well, for me, the most fascinating part of the Wonder Woman comic at this time. Yeah, So let's have a look at the letters columns. This first one is from issue 162. It's one long letter from Mr Joseph Arrell of New York City. And the letter goes something like this. Dear Mr Kaniger, some time ago I delivered my comments on Wonder Woman number 156. While I panned this issue, the subsequent ones have been like C'est Magnifique. Numbers 157 and 158 were daring, two-issue story full of keen excitement capped by a sensational announcement that the superfluous one-day characters would be eliminated. Then came issue 159, recounting the origin of the Golden Age Amazon Princess and any misgivings I had concerning the old Luke Wonder Woman crumbled. All except for one. I still contend that the artwork of two decades ago is too archaic for today and that if you're reluctant to use Sikowsky, Mr Andrew would do well to continue his present style as he did in issues 157 and 158, showing costume changes instead of imitating the late Harry Peter. Nevertheless, you are to be commended for giving Wonder Woman a tremendous lift, including the New Readers column, for which the first time gives fandom a true sounding board. To give the new trend a boost, may I suggest the following? Here we go. Right. Number one. In order to explain the inconsistency arising from the death of Wonder Girl in 156 and her apparent resurrection for the Teen Titans... Why not use the Fox formula? In 1961, for his memorable tale The Flash of Two Worlds, Gardner Fox used the parallel worlds motif to resuscitate the original flash in that worthy character's present magazine. Why not do the same for Wonder Woman by stating that the Golden Age Amazon really belongs to Earth 2, whereas the Wonder Family to Earth 1? This way you shall leave a path open for yourself should the present experiment fail. Number two, if the new look Batman was given an impetus last year as well as this one by playing him up more so in the Justice League, there is no reason why our heroine could not likewise be showcased in this popular magazine. That's a fair point. Yep. Number three, in view of the fact that John Jones is a Martian and that one of Wonder Woman's worst enemies, the Duke of Deception, also stems from Mars, why not have a story co-starring the Martian Manhunter putting these two JLA members against the menace from the Red Planet? Number 4. If you do use the Fox formula, why not follow up the very juicy statement dropped in the Brave and the Bold number 61 where, in recounting the origin of Black Canary, the members of the legendary organisation, after having been killed, were revived by the Purple Ray of the Amazons by reprinting this very same story. What Wonder Woman needs now is tremendous publicity to raise the extremely low opinion in which fandom formerly, question mark, held her. What could be more sensational than to guest star the GLA in one of its most dramatic cases? Think of the tremendous dividends. Number 5 In conjunction with the last point, what Wonder Woman now needs is to be highly publicised in the other DC magazines. A fine job was done of the Supergirl Wonder Woman story in the latest issue of Brave and the Bold, but a colossal blunder was made when a poster of this same story appeared inside the magazine in lieu of the one announcing the forthcoming secret origin of the Amazon Princess. If Superman can be heralded in practically every magazine, there is no reason why the same cannot be done for our girl. In conclusion, I hope that this letter will be of some benefit to you, and that, if time permits, you will drop me a few lines stating what you think of the above-mentioned
2: suggestions. Sincerely, Joseph Arrow, New York, New York. And Mr. Carnegie's response, he writes, Dear Mr. Arrow, when I receive letters as instructive and as enjoyable as yours, I read them without any other motive than pleasure. Your suggestions are very tempting, but for the nonce, I'm going to lay all my chips on the line and keep Wonder Woman wholly in the golden ages and wait for the deluge. I don't believe in half measures. It has to be all or nothing until I'm proven wrong. And that's a dimension in which I've often been to, so much so that I can probably claim squatter's rights in it. I want to see whether it is possible to recreate a golden era for a golden superheroine and defy time. If my head rolls for it, I'll try to stick it back on and move in the direction you've mentioned. Wonder Woman has given rise to three strong camps. One. Keep her exactly as she is, family, etc. Two, send her back to the golden age. And three, and latch on to the new departure of I, the bomb, and the vengeance of Eggfu, Wonder Woman 157-158. to A Solomon is needed to slice this problem in three equal parts and keep each alive. So that's very interesting there, because he's basically saying that I'm going to try this, I'm aware that everyone else wants me to try this, or yeah. to try this, or to try this. So it's we're trying it and we're see it. we're going to see how it goes. Yes. So... Mm -hmm.
1: Moving on to issue 163 We'll just do some highlights from some of the letters now The first one is from Robert Klein It's Dear Editor As for your policy to return to the Golden Age I think it is not good Today's comics are more sophisticated in story and plot And appeal to the reader Who is older than 12 In short, this is one fan who would rather not see Return to the Golden Age The decision to drop Wonder Queen, Wonder Girl, Mare Boy, etc Was a good one Those characters only added to the childishness of the comic. Please omit the holiday girls from future stories, as they are just as ridiculous as the (laughs) aforementioned characters. I like the holiday girls, I can't lie. (laughs) My biggest gripe is the terrible artwork. Please remedy this if possible. In closing, I salute you for your courage. It takes guts to take a chance like you took. Sincerely, Robert Klein. P.S. I have three questions. Number one, do you write Wonder Woman? Number two, was the origin in issue one five nine copied panel for panel from All Star number eight? And number three, what is Wonder Girl doing in the Teen Titans if she has been dropped? Hmm. And Robert Kannagar
2: responds to this Dear Mr. Klein, one, yes. <laughs> but I'm constantly looking for writers, ditto for Metal Men, etc. To answer point two, he says, it is absolutely authentic Golden Age. And for number three, he says, ask George Cashton, the editor. Oh, <laughs> well then, he doesn't want really to touch the Donna. The Wonder Girl thing at all, does he? Nope, he's passing it straight over to the Teen Titans uh, editorial team.
1: final letter from this issue says, Dear Mr. Canagar, I must admit, I was pleasantly surprised by Wonder Woman's secret origin issue. The story was superb. I expected that. I didn't expect the Andrew Esposito artwork to turn out as well as it did. Frankly, the first Golden Age story in Wonder Woman number 156 didn't impress me much. It was too stiff and stilted for my taste, but this issue wasn't half bad. Panel 2, page 14, illustrates my point. It combines Grace and Golden Age style. Now keep up the good work, because I'll
2: be watching. And that's from Irene Vartanoff. And the very short response to that one is, Dear Ms. Vartanoff, yes, big sister, (laughs) RK. So someone, at least, was enjoying it. Yes, and Irene Vartanoff should know what she's talking about, because she went on to be a colourist in comics.
1: Oh, really? Starting in 1975. Brilliant. Yes, and that is not the only comic professional
2: we're going to come across over these letters. There are loads of them. The first letter on the letters column for issue 164 is fantastic. <laughs> I really like this.
1: And it says, Dear Mr. Canicker, I hate to say this, but I think you've ruined Wonder Woman <laughs> comics. This Wonder Woman of the 40s doesn't seem as realistic as the one of the 50s and 60s. Her features are too crude. I also miss the other characters you have so conveniently disposed of. I would like to see the old Wonder Woman. I'm very disappointed. Your
2: ex-fan, Bonnie Creeder. And the response to this one "Um, Dear Miss Creeder, I'm disappointed that you're disappointed. You represent a valid point of view, but bear with the Golden Age Wonder Woman. Like caviar, she might grow on you. The future might hold two Wonder Women. Fans have suggested one from the Golden Age and one from the present. Story and art to match. Pity the poor writer and artist. Be patient with our efforts. R.K. And there's another letter
1: in this issue from someone we've literally just heard from Dear Mr. Ganniger. If there's anything I loathe in this world it's a bunch of ghouls sitting on a grave and cursing the dead one below. That's the nasty impression I got from the most recent Wonder Woman letter column. I will not deny that previous to the change in the format, Wonder Woman often was childish, but since she was aimed at the younger readers I see no reason for laughing at her. Fandom, as Rick Waringoff wrongly stated, is mainly made up of men and boys, and I would like to add their tastes are radically different from those of the younger boys and most of the girls. They never read Wonder Woman regularly before the change in format. But after the change, they are oh so willing to heap abuse on her. They refuse to recognise the validity of a character who hasn't got the right kind of format, writer or artist. They refuse to recognise the rights of other readers. Thus, they forfeit their own rights.
2: Mm, That's quite strong words, isn't it?
1: I bought Wonder Woman before the change, and I continue to do so. The artwork was perfect before. As far as I'm concerned, it's so-so now. The stories were good before. Well, they're good now. But this is my opinion, and it comes from my personal point of view. It is only valid as a measure of me, not Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was perfect before and is perfect now, because then and now she attracts the type of audience she was or is designed for. As she was designed for children, so she attracted them. As she is designed for fandom, so she attracts it. Down with the ghouls. And that's again
2: from Irene Vartanoff. And Robert a quick response. This is nice, actually. Dear Ms. Vartanov, you fascinate me. You find me for Metal Men and you defend me for Wonder Woman. Are you for real? (laughs) RK. Bit of history there. That's nice.
1: Yeah. It makes you want to check out the Metal man columns. So on to issue 165, the letters column there. And the first letter says, Dear Editor, well, after three issues of The Golden Age, Wonder Woman, I think I should tell you how lazy I think you are. That's right. Lazy. Sure. Wonder Woman is a great character, but that doesn't mean you can boost sales by reprinting stories from the fabulous 40s. On the contrary, it should tend to reduce sales. The only work that you're doing on Wonder Woman is going through your files for old stories and writing up a letter column. (laughs) Now, if that's not being lazy, I don't know what is. Amazing. The only remedy is this. Have a brand new cover and story, by the great Andrew Esposito team, of course, and leave the subsidiary stories for reprints. I would like to know what other readers think of this idea. Sincerely,
2: John Bralick from Akron, Ohio. And Robert Canagar responds. Dear Mr. Bralick, the one thing you can count on in this column is that readers will tell you exactly what they think, regardless of who is being drawn and quartered. So read on, friend. From RK. Okay. The next letter's actually quite positive, generally seems quite happy with it, but there's, we're not going to talk about that one because we didn't really go into a lot of detail on the story. So there's the, the last letter from the 165 letters page. Peter's going to read it to you now. Dear Mr. Canninger, as a two-share stockholder in
1: National Periodicals, I was quite happy to see Wonder Woman number 161 appear on the stands. First of all, that cover was the best to date. Thank goodness you left off all the glittering blurbs. Andrew Esposito did a fabulous job in copying the style of H.G. Peters.
2: That's interesting. There was a bit of dislike for all the the text that they've been putting on. That's quite interesting. Yeah, Yeah. that's Mm -hmm. interesting.
1: In the latest issue of Showcase, Return of the Spectre, Mr. Schwartz implied that he was temporarily discontinuing revival efforts. The idea of bringing back old heroes is a good circulation builder. Maybe in some issues of Wonder Woman, you can guest feature some characters yet to be revived. Examples are the original Sandman, The Seven Soldiers of Victory, The Crimson Avenger, etc. Or you may even have an all heroine issue, in which she teams up with the Black Canary to fight the Harlequin, a great villainess long overdue for being revived. Also, how about more book-length stories? As a last question, what was Wonder Woman's circulation before any changes were made? And what is it at the present? Sincerely, Mike Usland, Deal Park, New Jersey. Now, Mike Usland... He also went on to become mm-hmm. a comics writer, but he's probably more well-known for being the producer of the Tim Burton Batman movie. Oh, really? Or one of them, anyway. That's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and here he is, writing in about Wonder Woman in the 60s. Yeah, There's more to come, folks. Yeah, and showing
2: <laughs> off his knowledge of characters. That's really, really yeah. interesting. That's that's cool. Robert Canninger's response, then, to, to Mike is... Dear Mr Uslan, I'm glad you're fond of Black Canary and Harlequins, since both fluttered their way out of my typewriter years ago. I have a fatherly interest in those saucy brain children. Perhaps I will feature them with Wonder Woman one of these days in the new kind of golden age. As far as her circulation is concerned, she's passed every physical that I know of for about 20 years. Numerically, I believe, it's published once a year on the ownership page, but don't go by me. I am notorious for involving myself only with writing, art and editing. and leaving the business end to the time-proven successful hands of D.C., RK. Now, that little thing he said there about Showcase, Mr. Schwartz implied that he was temporarily, temporarily yes. discontinuing revival efforts. I don't remember any sense of that at all from, from reading the story, but anyway, we'll see what pops up when we do the, the Showcase Spectre issues. I like the fact that Mike mentioned the original Sandman in his letter, because that's right, he's, he's just about the last of the Golden Age, the big Golden Age DC guys we've not heard from yet. Yeah, true. I wonder if we'll meet him soon, listeners. Mm, I wonder. Mm. Moving on to the letter's page of 166... Uh, dear editor,
1: I'm sitting here using the new typewriter Santa gave me for Christmas and trying to think of what I've been meaning to say to you ever since your mags underwent the amazing transformation, a apparent 180 degree turnabout regarding fandom. I've never really had the time to express my feelings, too busy writing to Julie Schwartz about Batman, but the holidays vacation has given me the time to write. First of all I'd like to say that your transformation is one big precedent type build up. What has changed? Only one thing. Make that two things have changed. First was the change in format for Wonder Woman which I suspect was brought about because of sagging sales, not because you were deluged with tons of mail. And the second is the taking over view of the letter columns. All the latter involved was the replacing of a misguided writer. Hate to start off with a sour note, but the new Wonder Woman is not what I like. The stories are okay, though I'd rather see her battling opponents like Egg Foo instead of the weird type like Dr Psycho. But the so-called art is awful. The old forties art styles don't fit in the modern age. The accented collarbones and facial features, especially the nose, make her look unnatural. Please instruct your fabulous team of Andrew Esposito to return to the old, new, I hope you follow me, style. The Wonder Woman with only a small mark for a nose helps the story to flow better than a completely accented one that makes the reader stop and think about the art for a moment every panel. Also in this vein is the portrayal of Wonder Woman as Diana Prince. The original Andrew Esposito version is far better than that ugly old maid portrayal in the Amazon of Terror in Wonder Woman number 160. I guess the best way I can sum up my views on the Amazon Princess is to quote Mr Elwood's word on the letters page in number 160. You hit the jackpot with that great two-parter I the bomb and the great villain Egg Fu. That's the real golden age. That's uh, my emphasis in parentheses. But please don't try and recreate a period which belongs in a museum. Bury the past with the past. All the present will bury you again. My emphasis. I believe we have covered that uh, letter in our last episode, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's from Mike Friedrich from Castro Valley, California. Now, Mike Friedrich is a name we will be coming across again because again he went on to yep. become a comics professional, writing many stories, quite a few of which we will be covering.
2: Some of them fairly soonish. And Mr. Kanigas' response: Dear Mr. Friedrich, I am reprinting in one the room and only your section on her. Not in those other magazines I edit, I may reprint the other sections in their appropriate places if space will allow. As with Mr Elwood, what can I say when you present arguments which I can only honour for their truth, even though it is the truth as you see it? Others will differ, but I am sure that your views represent a goodly company. I wonder who stands with me, besides myself. At any rate, and this is key, listeners, starting with the perils of Paper Man and the three fantastic faces of Wonder Woman, the Amazon returns to the world of the I-bomb and the Egg Foo, with regard to artwork, trying to copy Mr. Peter's style was a wistful experiment. I pass. R.K. And that's him basically, I suppose, admitting that he's, it hasn't worked as on one level with the artwork. Yeah, true. Moving on to the letters page of issue 167. First of all, don't worry,
1: there's not a thousand more letters to go, <laughs> but we're just reading out the person at once. And again, this letter column has a letter from Irene Vartanoff. But that's not the one I'm going to read out from here. And it said I'll read out the last one from this column. It says, Dear Mr. Kaniger, I won't waste your time briefing about Wonder Woman number 163. What I really wish to speak about is the artwork produced by Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito. I am against the new look, or would that be the old look, for several reasons. To begin with, Andrew and Esposito draw in the kind of style that fits something like Captain Storm perfectly. But to cause him to draw in styles that make Bob Austin and Sheldon Mayer look like Joe Kubert and Lee Alias is downright criminal. <laughs> Blimey. I have noted as of late that A&E have been doing poorer on the other features they draw, most likely because of their Wonder Woman arts. Wow. Next, and most important, Harry G. Peters was an excellent artist, but if he could have drawn better, he would have. His strength lay in the fact that after reading a story or two by him, you begin to see an entirely different world. This is a true world of the comic magazine in which life is paradise and crime never pays. Such is not the case with Andrew Esposito. The art looks forced and the poses are awkward. Finally Wonder Woman is out of place anyway in today's world of comics in which the writer must keep one step ahead of the truth, no more no less. Frankly you could do no better than to take on an artist team like Mike Sikowski and Frank Giacoya. It's either that or you turn to the stage of I, the bomb. Take your pick. And that's from future comic writer Mark Ivanier from Los Angeles, Fantastic. California. Big pile of Sergio's, yeah. Yeah, that's it. They'd worked in grew
2: for many a year. And of course, uh, he picked up the reins in New Gods for DC. Yeah, I've got a lot of time for Mark. I've read so, um, I'm sure I've got a couple of books of his collected columns that he wrote for various mm-hmm. publications. So, yeah, moving on to 168 then. Yes, first letter. Dear Sir,
1: number 159 gives cause for great speculation. The origin was better than that which appeared in Secret Origins number 1. I do like the pre-Golden Age imitation art better, but if this new art will sell Wonder Woman better than the other style did, then you have my support. Unlike the art, the cover I am very much against. It was a real cloud of word flags. It was impossible to read. Keep the cover simple and free of words, flags and the word bubbles to a minimum. Resort to pictures to sell the magazine. A picture is worth a thousand words. Please feel free to use golden age art to your heart's content as long as it stays off the cover. Wonder Woman's clubhouse isn't a clubhouse anymore. It's a reader's column so let's call it Wonder Woman's reader review now. Unlike that crocked individual Robert Allen, I am a teenager and would like to see Wonder Woman marry Steve Trevor but not right off. In addition, I would like to see some guest stars from the Golden Age, like Starman, Black Canary and others. The one big problem with Wonder Woman is that she is so super that no foe could ever come close to beating her. Take issue number 158 for example. On page 12, Wonder Woman wipes out a whole group of tanks in under 3 seconds. It is more fun to read about Batman spending 5 minutes against just one tank. The reason is that Batman is more like myself than is Wonder Woman. This is because it is possible for me to make myself like a Batman. But it's just about impossible for me to become a Wonder Woman, even if I were a girl. So, in the future, make Wonder Woman human. A goal for us all to shoot for, like Batman is. Interesting comment there. Yes. Uh, Moving on. For villains, let's see some good ones that are equal to Wonder Woman in one way or another. Villains that are worthy of Wonder Woman's metal. Don't, please don't, finish them off like a cup of coffee. Take two issues, let Wonder Woman get beaten every so often. After all, no one is perfect. Don't go off to alien planets, keep Wonder in real. Page 10, issue 159 stated that, With your bracelets of submission chained, terrible forces can transform you into a creature of ungovernable fury. Will we ever see that happen in Paradise Island? Soon? When? When do we get a list of ye editor's favourite old villains? When do we get some good old villains? Getting back to old Alan, tell the JLA editor to handle her this way too in this fashion. Refer back to JLA for this... Up and coming statements numbers twenty one, twenty two, twenty nine, thirty. There are two Wonder Womans, one of Earth One and one of Earth Two. The one that was just revived was that of Earth Two. The one of Earth One is dead as far as we the readers of Wonder Woman are concerned, but still lives on in the pages of JLA. The Wonder Woman of Earth One has her origin in Secret Origins number one. The Wonder Woman of Earth Two has her origin in Wonder Woman number one five nine. So set Mr. Allen straight, will you? Best wishes for success and the hope that Wonder Woman will appeal to all. From Lee Childs, Sherman Oaks, California.
2: I think that's the best letter we've had so far, actually. It's because it's he's addressing some of the points that we were sort of thinking about as mm-hmm. far as Earth 1 and Earth 2. And and I like what you said about making Wonder Woman a, a sort of character that, that readers can aspire to. That's, that's really quite noble. I like that.
1: Yeah, and making her a bit more realistic is something that will be happening yeah. in Wonder Woman's fairly close future. Yeah,
2: of course. So the final letter we're going to do from issue 168 is from a very familiar name. Yes. Dear Editor, First of all,
1: I'd like to say that since you decided to fix the stories that have appeared in Wonder Woman, the book is better than ever. But I have a very strong complaint that I'd like you to consider. Please do not make Andrew and Esposito copy a style of art far below their ability as they have done. These men are far better than their predecessor and should be allowed to use their own style of drawing. Your idea of improving the book was the right idea, but once you had a good storyline, what did you do? Ruin the art, that's all. The Wonder Woman of the 40s had miserable art. The Wonder Woman of the early 60s had excellent art. The reason? Even though your artists have allowed themselves to copy a poor artist, their own ability still shows through. If you truly want to improve Wonder Woman, don't bring back a poor art style. Half the improved stories complement the top art that your staff can produce. By the way, I must agree with Mrs Satherwaite's Wonder Woman 160 letter column in the fact that it is impossible to recreate the Golden Age. The reason is that the Golden Age was a mood, not the product of the comics. The people were different. There was a war going on, television wasn't in use, and to be honest, it was just a different world. Just try for top stories as you are now presenting and mix it with the best of today's comics. Top art! Why not let the readers have a say if they want to have the new art or the art of last year? sincerely marvin wolfman from flushing new york fantastic marv wolfman the writer of teen titans the writer of crisis infinite earth the writer of adventure superman the writers of tons and tons and tons of things wow
2: without whom would we be doing this podcast possible possibly not if he hadn't done crisis probably not no true very true right listeners don't worry this is the last letter we're going to do this is a letter from issue 169 dear sir I have been watching with patience Wonder Woman's visit to the Golden Age,
1: and I predict that she will return to the way she was before. The Golden Age belongs in the past and cannot be recreated since it is a part of the comic's history. The artwork especially, novel though it is to see it now, is dated and should not be revived. This is a jet age, and her Amazon should have adventures and these should be drawn in such a way as to keep her in the forefront of what is being published today, not send her back to the past. Surely there are plenty of adventures for her to have in the present, which will maintain her exciting image. Long live Wonder Woman. She is unique among all comic characters today. Sincerely yours,
2: Ellen Dreiberg, Chicago, Illinois. And Kanagos response to that one. Dear Miss Dreiberg, I suppose you must be aware through reading the Wonder Woman letter column that you represent but one faction supporting the Amazon although a very important one, as all her readers are. And your suggestions are attended to as carefully as any others, but only the future will show the path Wonder Woman will take, as she has shown before, the Amazon seems to have an inner life of her own. So sometimes she goes in one direction and other times in another, but the important thing is that she is alive enough to make some readers ecstatic and others angry. I guess it's apparent that the girl does have something. Archie, There we are.
1: It's absolutely fascinating. What a period of strange comics history. But again, no one no one really talks about this, period. It's fascinating, just Robert Kanaka just trying things. Yeah. So yeah, it's just really interesting to see that a lot of the people who feel invested in Wonder Woman are future comic pros. Yeah. In the field, they really have to have their say about, you know, the character and the direction that the comic's mm-hmm. taking. And it's really interesting
2: to see their insights. The really obvious thing is that the the fan base, to use a, a very modern term at this point, is obviously very engaged and very very invested, and they care about yep. what's what's going on. And it's and it's interesting mm-hmm. just to see how responsive he is yes. to everything they're saying. And and you can see obviously from the letters that some readers were prepared to to go with him and give him a shot. Yeah, there seemed to be more voices that were saying that they didn't really care for it mm-hmm. than went for it. I was I was really intrigued to see the the letters that talked about the the amount of text and covers and all that and to dial that back and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's um. It's interesting that people are talking about just so many different aspects of, of what they were being given. My respect for Robert Carnegie has increased actually by reading through these yeah. letters and seeing his responses to people because it's obvious that he he takes what people are saying seriously. He's interested. Mm-hmm. He wants to hear it. It's almost like it's a very collaborative process. Yeah. You know, he's listening to the fans where they don't like it, but he will try something else and see if they like that. And but also mm-hmm. the main thing that he's taken on board as he hears is that people prefer it when Diana is drawn in the modern style. And the stories are sort yeah. of taking place in the present No one seemed to be crying an awful lot About the, the absence of the supporting cast no. That we talked about last time being put in the drawer So maybe maybe that's one thing yeah. that he got right Again at this time He's editing at least half a dozen comics He's writing most
1: of them Yes, uh, He's doing tons of stuff And he's still yes. engaging with the fans on the letters pages To such an extent Pretty much putting himself out there saying I'm trying this, you can go for it You can not go for it Okay. Obviously you've decided yeah. that's not working I'll change it it's yeah. engaging and it's it's a big change, and mm-hmm. as I said before, he was in Wonder Woman for twenty years. You know, it's yeah absolutely crazy to think of that exactly.
2: And as we said before, when we talked about it. A writer that's on the same book for twenty years, he's going to want to keep trying to do different things just to keep himself interested. Yeah. If he huh. if he can't get off it and. And, and get mm. someone else. Now, we will be doing another Wonder Woman story in the not-too-distant future. Uh-huh. Obviously, we will return to Wonder Woman in the 1970s for a little while, when the yes. comic ties in with what the TV series was doing, as in properly setting the stories back in World War Two, because uh-huh. these are very clearly defined as set as being on Earth 2 and featuring members of the Justice Society. And then, obviously, she will pop up when we get to the crisis, and she's going to pop up at other points and various other things, but... I've, I've enjoyed this little sidestep into Amazonian territory because it wasn't what I expected us to do when we yeah. started off, but it's been really interesting from the point of view of really just getting a proper handle, I think, for the first time on what fandom was like in those days.
1: Absolutely, yes.
2: Nearly 60 years ago, let's be honest. To be honest, most of
1: uh, what we think of fandom from then is pretty much Stan Lee and his letter columns in, yes. in Marvel. Having the Stan Lee persona and engaging uh-huh. with the... Uh, with the reader directly, almost yeah, and stand soapbox and all that sort of thing. Is it really seems driven by that, and that's mm-hmm. got people interested in comic fandom and realizing that they can actually talk to the creators as opposed to how it used to be. In Wonder Woman would they'd write into Wonder Woman and ask her questions about, of course, you know, yeah, yeah, silly things. Yeah, it's a marked change, and it is really interesting as to how all this is developing. Because it's mm-hmm. only fairly recently that uh, letter columns started being a thing in in DC Comics in the sixties. Yeah. It's quite a new concept for them, and to be honest, it's a good page filler for them as well, for their content. <laughs> yeah, that's true,
2: that's true. But very, and, and as as we found in the podcast, very, very useful as a, a nice little window into seeing what people thought of the stories at the time. Absolutely. For what it's worth, I really enjoyed Wonder Woman nine. I really enjoyed flicking through the other stories and reading through them to get an idea of what was going on. I hadn't read an awful lot of Wonder Woman stuff from this period, and I really enjoyed them, yeah. Yeah, it's been fun. That's what we thought. What do you think? Please get in touch and let us know.
1: You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. On Facebook, we'll be posting a lot of bonus material and highlights from these issues. And you can find us at theearth2podcast on Facebook. And we're at the same handle on Instagram. And on Twitter, you can find us at podcast underscore earth2. You certainly can. Well, I don't know about you, but I certainly feel wonderful. <laughs> 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 on that note, I've been Peter. And I've been David. And you've been listening to the Golden, Golden Age Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman Podcast. Podcast. Oh wait, hang on. That's not right. You've been listening to the, the Earth 2,
2: Earth 2 Podcast. Podcast.
0: Transmatter Cube activated.
2: Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. Absolutely. Righty. Oh man, I feel like I lie down after all that. <laughs>